Hello there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast, where we share practical therapy tips and ideas for busy speech-language pathologists. Grab your favorite beverage and sit back as we dive into this week's episode. Hi there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast. I am so excited to be introducing Caitlin Lopez today. We are going to be diving into all things mindfulness after a lot of you asked questions about it um, with Kristen Camella's interview. There was a huge interest in all things mindfulness, and I found the perfect person to help break this down for us. Um, and just a little bit of background, Caitlin received her master's degree from Loma Linda University Um, in communication sciences and disorders in 2012. And she has worked for the last eight years serving preschool and elementary students in the California school system. Um, She also began practicing yoga in 2018, and it was love at first savasana. Um, She completed her 200-hour teaching training in 2013 um, and has completed 20 hours of trainings in yoga for autism, yoga for children, trauma-informed yoga, all the things. Um, and she teaches adults and kids in studio classes, community centers, and schools. Um, she's passionate about helping others find their inner power through using their voices and living intentionally. Um, so I cannot wait to dive into all of the tips and tricks that Caitlin has for us today. Um, But before we get into all of that good stuff, um, Caitlin, I, well, first of all, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Thank you. I'm excited to be sharing. Um, And before, like I said, before we dive into all the tips and tricks, I'm really curious. um, I got to hear a little bit of your story already, um, but I'd love if you could share a little bit more of your story, like how you got started on this journey and kind of what that looked like for you. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, back in 2008, I started practicing yoga, uh, just kind of as something fun to do while I was in school. Um, I was, I think I was doing my undergrad about that time. Um, and it was, so I just kind of hopped into classes, um, as something new to do, like a new hobby or whatever. And, I absolutely fell in love with it. I noticed like right away that it was something a little bit more than like your average exercise class. Um, And so I had been practicing yoga for about four years or so. um, And my first year as a speech therapist in the school system, I remember this one day walking um, walking into grab students and I had three kids and they were just like, off the walls, but in like on very different pages. One little girl was just like word salad telling me some story that made no sense. And another little boy was, um, he was like bouncing off the walls, just like high energy. And then another kid was just like not engaging whatsoever. Um, And I was trying like all the teacher tricks, you know, like those things that they tell you to try, you know, for behavior management to get the two kids calmed down and then maybe bring up that other kid and nothing was working. And I was just like feeling my my energy level like kind of rise, my like stress level rise. And I was like, oh, what am I going to do with these two kids that are bouncing off the walls? And then this kid who's like not interested in anything. And I um, realized like, okay, well, what works for me? Breath. And so I, I thought, okay, I'm going to get them breathing. But in the past, like I had tried breathing with kids before and they just kind of end up hyperventilating. You ask them to take a deep breath and to let it go. And it's like, <sighs> and it's like, wait, wait, that's counterproductive. And so um, I got them grounded first. I have no idea where this idea came from, but I was like, okay, I need to get them grounded. So I had them elephant walk around the table because if I thought like okay if they can feel the ground beneath them like maybe that'll give them a little bit of sensory input to kind of bring themselves down and then they did they walked around the table a couple times um and I started to feel their energy level drop a little bit um and then I had them do a couple of like deep breathing you know breathing their arms up and then exhaling their arms down And then once they kind of were on the same page, the three of them, I um, 
had them do like, I think I had them do chair pose or something. And I was like, oh, we're going to do yoga. And they were like, what's that? And I had them do chair pose. And then we did bakasana or crow pose. It's kind of like a fun balancing pose um, that kids are really good at. Adults, maybe not so much. Um, so we did that. And then we sat down and we went through the rest of the speech session. And the kids were so engaged. I was like, what is going on? Oh my goodness. I found the answer to all of my problems. Um, and so I, I thought, man, there must be something here. And so as soon as I got home from my day, I Googled, um, yoga for autism. One of the kids, well, actually two of the kids were on the spectrum that were in the class or in the speech session. And I found a training that was happening. I think this was about April, May. And there was a training that was the weekend right after school got out in June. And I like signed up for it right then and there. Um, and the studio that I was attending at the time, they also were offering a 200 hour um, certification training that summer that started the weekend directly after that autism training. And so I signed up for that one about a week later after that one. Um, and so it was just kind of a summer of of yoga training. And, um, that's how I got into it. And then I did a couple of other courses like the children's yoga, just to kind of add to my tool belt. Cause children's yoga looks a lot different than adult yoga. Kids relax way different than adults relax. Um, and then through some other experiences that I've had, um, I was asked to teach for, uh, women that were rehabbing out of um, human trafficking. And so I took a trauma-informed yoga course to kind of give me some more tools to work with that population as well. Um, so that's a little bit about my background. Um, and let's see, I started to, like when I first started using yoga in my speech session, it was mainly for, um, for behavior management. Um, it, so it didn't like really become powerful or I didn't really see how it could be powerful for kids to take on for themselves until, um, a little bit more recently within the last few years. Um, but yeah, that's my, that's my background in how I kind of do what I do. I love that story. And it's amazing how that one session like catapulted all of these amazing things that you did and you immediately took action, which is amazing. I love it. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, you shared a little bit of kind of your first experience with this, um, but I'm curious how, like, can you give us a couple more examples of how you incorporate mindfulness into your therapy sessions and like what you use them for and what that ends up looking like? Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, um, you know, it kind of at first was like behavior management. Um, and so what it has evolved into, like I used to, you know, I, I would feel like kids would act out or they would come in and they would be upset or, um, you know, whatever have you. And so I would do a lot of like breath practices with them. Um, but what I've learned is that, and as I've kind of evolved into it, is that um, if we give kids the tools for like self-regulation or helping kind of put the responsibility on them and giving them the tools, it can be really powerful. Um, so there's a couple of different things that I do now. I I know, Marcia, you, you, you talk about um, using a routine and I kind of learned that from you, um, a little while back through your SLP now stuff. Um, and I really find it powerful with incorporating mindfulness because it can, I don't want to, it's a fine balance between doing these things that aren't necessarily goal related. And then also making sure that you're targeting, um, speech and language goals within your session. Cause we do have limited time in the school system. Um, so a couple of things that I do is I like to keep to that routine. Uh, we usually start out with some sort of mindfulness activity, um, and it can be very brief. It doesn't need to be super intense. Um, and I kind of let the kids pick once I teach them the different types of that, um, of activities that they can do, they can pick as a group what they want to do. Um, and so I walk to and from my speech sessions with my students, um, 
the older ones, I let them go back on their own, but I always walk and get my students. Uh, not only does it kind of break up my day and get me out of the therapy room, but um, our the particular schools that I have been at, for whatever reason, they don't have an IEP schedule. And so then this way, I know um, that the kids aren't waiting outside of my room or, you know, lollygagging in the hallway, like on their way to speech. Um, and so there's a couple of different things that I do on the walk back to the speech room. Um, one of the things that I like to do is a noticing walk where sometimes we walk quietly and we notice all the different things that we can hear on the way to the speech session. Um, and then they have to, if they can remind, um, if they can remember, they have to tell me what it was that they heard, you know, whether it was a bird or the crinkling of leaves or footsteps, or a bell ringing, or a, a helicopter. Um, so we do noticing walks. Um, we'll do like a gratitude list. And gratitude can be something that's a little hard for kids to wrap their heads around, like that concept, and so especially the little ones. And so we talk about things that make us happy. And then like, you know, they'll say, I, once they kind of know that that's the routine of like what gratitude is, noticing what makes you happy, then we'll add in the language of like, I'm thankful for, you know, um, playing with my friends at recess or my mom's hugs. Um, and we'll do like a gratitude list on the way to speech sometimes. Um, something else that I like to do is a per personal weather report. And so this, um, I give them the language of like, you know, am I sunny inside? Am I cloudy? Am I thunder? Am I, um, I'm trying to think of other, like, is it a tornado inside? Is it a hurricane? Is it sprinkling inside? Um, is it windy inside? And so we talk about what those, how the different weather might relate to like how their emotions are on the inside. And so, um, we sometimes will do like the personal weather report and they'll say, I am cloudy inside. And I always um, just let it be. I don't necessarily try to explain it. Um, a lot of times I don't even ask them why. I just kind of let them like, you know, if they're thunder, oh yeah. Like, oh, I know how that feels sometimes. Or I usually say something that validates that and then um, we move on. It's not something that I totally like engage them in. It's just something to help give them power to recognize like it's okay to feel these things. And then if we do the personal weather report on the check-in, like once um, at the beginning of the session, I always like to do one at the end um, to show them too that things can change. Um, you know, maybe we started out in a thunder mood and then after playing a couple rounds of like pop the pig or something or after a success in speech then they can maybe be windy or you know slightly cloudy instead of like a huge thunderstorm um and again like i don't draw a ton of you know a ton of attention to these things um just kind of allowing them to to own how they feel and then own that it can change um, so some other things that I like to do is like rounds of breath, you know, we'll do like only three to five rounds of breath. Um, sometimes I'll have them just kind of sit, like we'll usually do the breath when they're sitting. Um, so once we get into the speech room, if they decide that they also want to do breath, then, um, and they can sit in their chair and I'll usually ask them to feel like the chair against the back of their legs or against their back that way. So they're a little bit grounded and then a um, couple different breathing uh, practices that we can do is like, I'll just say equal breath and I usually have them breathe in for a count of three, hold for a count of three and then breathe out for a count of three. So we can do that one. Something else that kids like to do, um, there's like that game, Johnny Whoop, Johnny Whoop. I don't know. It's something that like I remember playing as a kid, but usually you take like the left hand and you place the palm or you kind of look at your palm and then you take your pointer finger of your opposite hand and you start at the base of the pinky. And then every time your finger goes up, you breathe in and then you breathe 
out when your finger goes down the pinky and then up the ring finger, you breathe in and then exhale as the finger goes down and you kind of follow that motion. And we'll do that usually, you know, once you get to the thumb, then we'll go back to the other side. And I call that one Johnny breath only because of that like game Johnny whoop. Um, I don't know if my students know what I'm talking about, but they sometimes ask for that one. Um, and so we kind of do that. And then sometimes um, like I'll use yoga as a reward at the end. Um, the yoga for autism training that I did, it was really awesome. They gave us yoga um, pictures like that were on kind of like a picture exchange card. Um, and so I will let them choose like one or two poses. I'll only have them choose out of five. It's not like they go through all 30 of the pictures because um, that would take too much time. But if they want to do like yoga poses at the end, I'll let them choose some. And um, sometimes they take turns teaching each other. But that's like a reward at the end that some of the kids like to do. Um, sometimes we'll do like a sound game where I'll play like a bell at the end of the session and they have to close their eyes and then just listen. And when they, um, like they'll raise their hand as they're listening for the bell. And then once they don't hear the bell anymore, they just bring their hand down to the table or to their lap. Um, and we wait till everybody has heard the bell or has done, um, hearing the bell. So that's one thing that I'll do with them. And so I kind of keep it, um, short and sweet. But um, usually when I introduce all of the games or the like different ideas behind things, it's kind of I'll spend a little bit more time like explaining, you know, this is why we do what we do. Um, you know, the reason why we notice things is um, is it keeps our brains sharp, you know, like um, something I'll talk about, like with the noticing lock is like we're using our spidey senses. Um, we want to keep our brain sharp. We want to notice everything that happens around us. And then like with the gratitude list, um, I'll, you know, when we talk about things that make us happy, I'll also help have them notice like, oh, did you notice you feel happy when you think about your mom's hugs or when you think about, you know, playing games with your friends? Um, and that I can, I'll remind them to like, anytime you need to think about things to make you happy, feel free to do that again. Um, so like I said, like I'll, it'll be a brief thing. It's not something super intense um, that we'll do. And the same with the personal weather report. Usually at the end, I'll draw a little bit more attention, especially if somebody's weather has changed. Like, oh, wow, how awesome. You felt this way and now you feel this way. You know, weather can change. And we know that. Sometimes it's sunny in the morning and then it rains in the afternoon. And that's kind of like about all I say. Um... And that's how I usually use these things within speech sessions. Um, when I work with kids, like in a kid's yoga class, I'll usually be a little bit more um, intentional or maybe not intentional is the right word. Um, a little bit more like spend a little bit more time on these things because we also have to do speech and language goals too. So yeah, thank you so much for all of these ideas. Um, I love a lot of the things. Well, I love all of the ones that you brought up. Um, um, I've only used a couple personally, so lots of new things for me. Um, and I love what you said about, um, because this is like, you have separate classes where you dive into these things specifically with students, but I love just the little things that we can use, um, to help set up our students for success in the session. Um, and, I think these are skills that can be very helpful for them as they go about their day. Um, so it does, like, I think this is the perfect thing to use as you're transitioning into the speech room and just, because um, yeah, it might take one or two minutes out of our very few minutes, but if the student is having like a thundery weather day, <laughs> um, if we can do just, if we can teach them some of these strategies, I think the student can get that much more out of the session. Um, and then also, they also have that skill to bring with them to the other parts of the day as well. Um, so I, yeah, I love that. And you gave us so many um, strategies that we could actually use, which is awesome. Um, and then I'm curious too, what 
kinds of changes have you seen like with your students or do you have any like, I don't know, what got you to like be so consistent with using this in your sessions? Like what were the like, whether it's research or personal experience, um, I'm curious what you've seen. Um, a little bit of both, you know, the, I think like, um, the research, I know like in Oakland, they have started, um, instead of doing like detention, they have meditation for kids. Um, there's a school, uh, district up there that does that, or at least a school within the district, um, that has tried that and they've seen really positive results. And then I know like, for me personally, when I'm consistent with things, it starts to take hold and you start to see things. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a school that, well, actually it was a little bit more than a couple of years ago. I don't know um, if you guys remember, it was a big deal to us in San Bernardino, but um, the December 2 shooting that happened, when it happened, I we were actually um, a couple of miles away from where it happened, like six miles or something. But when the news broke, nobody kind of knew what was going on or what was happening. Um, and the, um, I remember like, so anyway, we went on lockdown and we didn't, we knew that there was a shooting. We knew it was somewhere in San Bernardino, but we didn't know like where it was happening or what was going on. Um, and I was out to get a group of students and the principal walked out of the office and I was walking right by her and she said, we're going on lockdown. And I said, okay, do you need help? And she said, yeah, just help me, you know, sweep the campus. And so their fourth graders were third and fourth graders were out at lunch and, um, the, we were like sweeping the campus and one of the third grade teachers, this was not appropriate, but he was probably really scared. Um, and our field was like very far away from the, like the, the classrooms and the bells. And so kids could easily say that they didn't hear the bell, which happened regularly. Um, and so this teacher went out and was yelling at the students like, Hey, you guys go in, go in. And the kids weren't listening to him. And so he said, there's an active shooter, which is probably not the right thing to say to children. Um, and so kids were running into the classrooms. And as we were kind of sweeping the campus, the there was a bunch of kids that were outside of the fourth grade classroom and they had a substitute and it was lunchtime. So she had every right to not be on campus and getting herself lunch. Um, and so I ended up being in their classroom with them during lockdown. Um, so the principal opened up the door, we went inside and like two kids were fighting. <laughs> um, I just remember like walking up and getting the kids into the class and like all of a sudden one kid was in a headlock that another kid had him in and it was just like pure chaos. And so I was like, uh, we're supposed to be quiet. It's locked down. Um, and so I just said, okay, who wants to play a game? And the kids were like, uh, and they didn't really know who I was because I was brand new to that school and it was um, December. And so uh, some of them hadn't really even seen me on campus yet. Um, and so they were like, uh, so anyway, I asked the kids, do you want to play a game? And they all just kind of looked at me and I said, if you want to play the game, go ahead and sit at your desks. If you don't want to play the game, you know, you guys can look at these books up here. They had like some picture books or something in like a class library at the front of the class. And so the two boys who were fighting, like they pulled their hoods up over their heads and they kind of sat on opposite ends of that little library and they just started looking at books, but at least they were quiet. So I was like, you know what, that's fine. And so I did that check-in instead of calling it like a weather report. I just wanted them to say one word that they felt and, um, or I should back up. I got them grounded. I got them sitting in their seats, um, kind of did like a, you know, notice if your feet are touching the ground, notice what that feels like. Can you feel the backs of your legs against your chair? Can you feel the chair against your back? And then I had them, um, we went one by one through the class and I just said, you know, how do you, um, one word to describe how you feel. And then some kids, I asked them where they felt it. And I remember, um, and I started off first, I said that I was hungry because I didn't have a chance to eat lunch yet. And I felt that like 
I was like, and I feel that in my stomach, like it's growling and I feel it. And so some kids, I asked them where they felt things. Some kids, I didn't. So like one little girl, I remember she said she was angry and I asked her where she was angry and she said her hands, um, which I thought was really interesting. And you could kind of see how like kids, like they had never really been asked, you know, how do they feel? Where do they feel it? Um, and they, some of them I could tell like they'd never really been validated in how they felt. And so I started to see um, the energy in the room just kind of equalize a little bit. You know, kids were were starting to feel okay. You know, kids were scared and they were scared in their heads. They were scared in their stomachs. Um, and so then after that, we did a couple of yoga poses by their, you know, I had them stand up and like we did like one-legged chair and that kind of thing. There wasn't a ton of room in in the classroom for them to move around a ton. Um, and then I had them like, then I think we did some more breath and then um, we transitioned. I think we started playing like heads up, seven up or something in the class that was quiet. Um, and we were in the class for a couple of hours before they lifted the lockdown. Um, and so we also did like, a ch I did a checkout before it was time to go and like, you know, kids had calmed down. Um, and it wasn't until like a couple days later when I saw one of the kids who was fighting, by the way, the kids who were fighting, they never once participated, but they sat there and they watched. And that was enough for me, as long as they weren't putting each other in headlocks. Um, and a couple of days later, I was out, you know, grabbing students and one of the kids who was fighting, he said, Hey, and they said, hi, I, at the time I wasn't married. So I said, hi, Miss Mack. Um, and he goes, oh, oh, Miss Mack. And I said, yes. And he said, do you think you could come breed with us more often? And I said, oh, well, will you breathe? You know, next time I come into the class, will you participate? And he said, yeah, I think I will. And so I did it a couple more times with that class. And um, the teacher said, like, she noticed a huge difference just kind of in the way the class taught, like, um, interacted with each other and that she noticed a huge difference. And so she started doing it with the kids once she saw me, um, once she saw it, like, modeled for her. And so they would do it um, in the mornings and she noticed a huge difference. And so that to me is kind of when it started to switch from, like this behavior management, because I had been using it for behavior management up until then, um, to this like, oh, this kids enjoy this, like they need a reprieve. And the school districts that I have worked for in the past have been kids that have a lot going on in, at home. And so I think for ways for them to have some control over their bodies, over their minds, um, has been really powerful for some of them. And so that's when I started to really um, use it for just as part of the day, part of my speech sessions. Um, and of course, you know, there are times where they might need a little bit more instruction or I might, you know, if I notice that a kid is having a thundery day, like I, I spend a lot more and it drops down. I spend a lot more attention, like encouraging, encouraging them to try this on their own or, you know, to try it when things are not going well for them or if they get stressed out with homework or, you know, um, mom and dad are fighting at home or something like that. Like, hey, you can always come back and do the breath yourself. You don't need me to do it for you. Um, and so I have noticed a change with some of my students that, um, that they find, like, especially the ones that grab a hold of it and they, um, they find reprieve for it or they find, you know, success with it and they see the need to do it. Um, so that has been, and it's not all students. Um, I have several students who like, they don't really care about it. And, um, but we still do it because you never know when it might click for them. Um, I mean, it took me like, let's see, I think I did, I did my teacher training in 2013 and it like, I didn't start using it as like a um, just kind of part of my session until 2016, um, really 2017, because it was January 2016. So, 
you know, you never know when something will actually click for somebody. And I think we can say that too with like our speech therapy, you know, we work and work and work on like goals and we're like, oh my gosh, is this kid ever going to get it? Are they ever going to see the need for why they should get it? Um, And then it's like, oh, all of a sudden they do it or all of a sudden they see the importance of it. Um, And so that's, yeah, that's um, when I started to really use it. more regularly. That is so helpful. I love your stories and everything. I can just like visualize it. um, And I think that's really powerful and helpful. Um, And I love what you said about it taking time to place or to come like to really see a difference for some, like for some, it'll be fairly quick and some, it takes a little bit longer. Um, Like for myself, I took a whole like seminar. It was like a whole semester long seminar on mindfulness um, in college. Um, And like there was so much research around this approach. Um, And like I know, Caitlin, you have some articles and then I'll pull together some of the articles that I've come across over the time too. Um, And you can find if you're listening, you can find that in the show notes at slpnow.com slash 39. Um, but there's like, I took the seminar, I read like thousands and thousands of pages of research. Um, I got to practice it in the seminar with this like master and I don't know what he was actually called, but <laughs> he was definitely very into mindfulness and meditation and all of that. Um, and like, I did it, but I didn't really feel it click. Um, And it just like it took me, I think like 10 years later is when I started actually using it myself too. Um, And I love this um, metaphor. It was in a book that I read um, called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Um, But he, (laughs) it's such a good book, but he talks about an ice cube and Um, I think this is, like you were saying, it's true with what we can do with mindfulness or just speech therapy in general. But if an ice cube is at negative 100 degrees, like if we, like we can do a lot of work to increase that temperature, but we're not going to see a difference in the ice cube until it hits that melting point. So like we might have gone up by 60 degrees, but we're still not seeing that difference. Um, and so I think that's so powerful um, to keep in mind with ourselves because I, like I've talked to a lot of SLPs who, um, who said like, I really want to try this, but it's challenging. Like I don't see it making a difference. So we can use that ice cube reminder for ourselves and also our students. Um, so I love just the examples that you shared because I think it just helps kind of helps emphasize that point as well. Um, and then along that line too, um, I want to start with students. Um, but what tips do you have? Like you shared lots of examples of things that we can do. Um, but what tips do you have for SLPs who are interested in using mindfulness with their students? Oh, great question. You know, I think the the thing that has been for me like the most powerful is when like you were saying, you know, you've been it took 10 years for you to like really dive into it. And I would say it's about the same for me too, you know, like yeah, I was doing yoga, but did it ever, you know, leap off the mat? And it took several years for that to happen. Um and I think, you know, the the biggest tip or the biggest like piece of advice that I can give um, is that, you know, mindfulness really should be modeled. And it's hard to teach something that you haven't necessarily bought into for yourself, um, that you haven't uh, like necessarily practiced yourself, you know. Um, I think it can be done, but I think it is a lot more powerful when you are doing it yourself. You know, I'm It's really hard to teach somebody how to do something that you yourself are not using or that you haven't necessarily done yourself, Um, which is why we go to, we get these master's degrees and continue with CEUs and um, reading all the research to make sure that we are teaching our students well when it comes to speech and language. 
Um, but I think the same goes for mindfulness as well. So I would really, really recommend developing your own mindfulness practice. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be sitting in a 60 minute meditation every single morning. Um, you know, you, but what can you do to live a little bit more intentionally? You know, maybe it's taking 12 breaths before you get out of bed in the morning. Maybe it's, um, breathing on your way to work in the morning. Maybe it's something that's like taking your own noticing walk or your own, you know, mindful meditation walk. Um, it doesn't have to be something super intense, but I think any little bit is helpful. There was a podcast that I listened to, um, recently and I completely forget that. I think it was, um, Sally Kempton that was being interviewed, but I could be wrong. Um, and one of, it was a live, um, like a, a live forum. And one of the, um, attenders had asked the meditation expert, you know, what is the bare minimum that I can, what is the least amount of meditation that I can do and still receive the benefits? You know, we talked about all this research about, you know, 20 minutes is, it drops your, your blood pressure and it really reduces, you know, your stress levels. But what, what if somebody like me can't do, can't sit for 20 minutes? Um, and it and actually ends up like raising our blood pressure because we get so stressed out that we can't sit there for 20 minutes. You know, what can I do? And the meditation expert basically just said, you know, you're looking for the bare minimum that you can do. And really, the best thing you can do is um, is just a little bit every day. If a little bit is better than nothing, you know, a little bit of exercise is better than no exercise. A little bit of eating healthy is better than not eating healthy at all. And then from there, you start to build. And so that is kind of the best advice that I can give is to start your own mindfulness practice. Um, and, you know, um, Come up with a definition of mindfulness that makes sense for you because that's what you are going to be able to relate to your students. You know, if mindfulness is like this really strict, rigid thing, then that's probably what you will do like with your students. And that's fine. There are people that like have very strict, rigid practices. But, um, you know, evaluate your relationship with mindfulness. Um, and like, what is it that you're looking for? Are you just looking for a little bit of peace in your day or a little bit of intentional um, action in your day? Um, and then that will be related to your students. Um, so evaluate your relationship with it. You know, is it something that you feel like you should do versus something that you want to do? Or um, And that can really change as well. You know, when it's something that you look forward to doing versus something you have to do, um, it becomes a little bit easier to do, which I know we all know that. Um, so that's kind of the first tip that I have is, um, to develop your own practice. Um, and then with that, like once you kind of develop your own practice, you know, or something that I think is really valuable and can show change in students is when it becomes consistent, you know, it's really hard to, um, to get students to breathe when they are like at level 10 and they've never breathed before. But the more that they are able to do it um, when they're calm, then the more able they're able to help themselves um, when they are at that high energy level. And that's something that I've had to learn the hard way um, in terms of, you know, trying to use it only for behavior management, just kind of as that way of life. And I think the same goes for all of us, you know, when we're really stressed out and we're really like in the heat of the moment, it's really hard to calm ourselves down. But if it's something that we've been practicing and we know how to drop down and take a couple of deep breaths and regroup, then that's something that, um, that is a lot easier to do. Yeah. I thank you again. Such helpful information. Um, and I'm also really curious, like, how has your mindfulness practice, like, changed over the years? Like, just looking back, like, what did you start with? And, like, do you have a routine around it now? 
Yeah, great question. So I started like a lot of people just kind of like, um, you know, yoga as a way of like, I wanted that yoga body. I mean, to be completely honest, you know, like, oh yeah, like hot yoga. Sure. Let's do that. Like, you know, that, that'll get me fit. That'll get me feeling good. And then the more that I, I think I had like started a a class at like 24 hour fitness or something. And I did that for a little while. And then I, um, decided to try out a studio and just the way that the studio teachers taught was very different. Um, and, the things that they would mention in class about like, you know, intentionally putting your foot, you know, where you want it to go or whatever. So it started very physical for me. Um, like that wanting to be healthy and then moving my body intentionally and being mindful about like what, about the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the, the anatomy, making sure that my body was in the right, right place and the, um, you know, that hip goes there and lift your pelvis here and that kind of thing. Um, and then it didn't really become more like, and with that, you know, linking the breath, like your spirit kind of starts to come online a little bit more, or maybe that idea of like that Zen mindfulness starts to come on a little bit more. Um, but I had never really been introduced to meditation. I had heard about it and I knew it was good for me or whatever, but I had never really tried it until I did my teacher training, actually. Um, I used to journal a lot and they, the cool thing about my yoga teachers was they were like, you know, what do you do um, to process? And then how, like, can you think of that as being mindful? Um, that it's all, it's all a part of it. Like it's, it, all works together. Um, and so learning a couple of different meditations through my teacher training was really powerful. And that's when I started to meditate. But again, like still at that point, because they wanted us to meditate, that teacher training was pretty intense. They wanted us to meditate every single day, um, practice, do a breath practice, which in yoga we call pranayama. Like we're supposed to do that alongside like the the meditation and the asana. And we're supposed to do that every single day. So it became something that I had to do, not necessarily something that I looked forward to doing. And, um, but it was still like, that was, that was, um, like it's only been within the last few years, I would say that I would like, I look forward to my meditation practice. And then like, even the last the last year or so, and like, especially the last six months, I've really dived in deep to it. Um, and what that looks like is, so I started doing this during the, um, the teacher training. We had a, like our teacher would always say RPM. Um, did you guys RPM? Did you guys RPM? And RPM was rise, pee, meditate. And they believed that the best time to meditate was in the morning, um, because your mind is a little bit more, it's a little bit more empty, if you will. Uh, you haven't necessarily gone about your day and thought about all the problems, all the things that have happened, all the interactions that you've, you know, replay in your head that have happened throughout the day, whether good or bad. And so that was something um, that I kind of gravitated towards was the RPM method um, during teacher training. And now I would say like, when I'm on routine, like in the school year, I still RPM, um, rise, pee, meditate. And then I journal after that. Um, I'll do a little bit of reading. I take a couple hours before I go to work. Um, I just like to, for me, that's what works best and to kind of be in that routine. Um, sometimes I meditate for, um, usually, oh, sorry, let me back up. So I, I have a, I use insight timer, which is a meditation app. I think it's 10 bucks, like for the initial, um, app, at least it used to be, I've had it for a couple years now. And so I like it because you can put different interval bells on it. They have guided meditations as well, but I usually just kind of do my own thing. Um, and use the timer. And so I will breathe. I'll do a breath practice for the first 10 minutes. And then the last 10 to 15 minutes, 
Um, I will just do like a, a mantra meditation, if you will. Like I'll focus on a thought or a phrase and I'll um, focus on that for the, the remaining 10 to 15 minutes. Um, but I do a couple of different breath practices before I get going just because it not only helps wake me up, um, especially since I rise, pee, meditate, um, but it also kind of helps center my brain a little bit, um, gets me focused on the breath, which kind of gets me in a good space. Whereas if I'm just supposed to sit and think about a word or a phrase, um, I usually think about a lot more other things. Uh, and so that has been really helpful. And then something else that I've really, um, I, I tend to be a little bit on the type A side of things. And so uh, in years past, and I would say especially this last year, I've been able to lean into this. So in years past, I used to like really beat myself up if uh, my meditation wasn't like this Zen place. Um, but I've been reading a lot of books recently. Um, this last year, I was like, you know what, I'm going to get into this like even more so. Yeah, it's a part of my um, my daily routine, but I want to lean into the meditation side of things a little bit more heavily. And so I've really come to um, just accept my meditation practice for what it is. Um, I was recently on vacation and I like before the holidays, I was like, okay, I want to do 30 days of meditation. And so I have just like committed to that and, um, you know, whether it's five minutes or 10 minutes and sometimes when you're on vacation and you're out of routine and like it's been sometimes in the morning, sometimes in the evening before I go to bed. And so I've just kind of let things be and I've just noticed like, oh, wow, my brain was really busy today. Huh. I didn't really settle down, did I? And I've just let it be versus like beat myself up of, oh, you're a terrible yoga teacher. You're a terrible meditation teacher. You can't do this. Um, and had a lot of grace for myself in that. And that has really helped kind of catapult me towards having um, a better, uh, it's catapulted my my thinking towards my meditation practice of, oh, I'm, um, I get to do this and I look forward to doing this um, versus like, oh, it's just a part of my day that I have to do. I know it's good for me, like, you know, eating kale. I am somebody who doesn't like to eat kale, but I do because it's supposed to be good for us. Um, and so that is, um, a little bit of how my meditation practice has evolved through the years. Uh, something else that I really enjoy doing that has become a mindful activity for me as well is cooking. Um, I really, really, really love to play with flavors. And I think cooking and food is like such a great mindfulness activity because you use all five senses. Um, and so whether like I and my husband knows like I'm in the kitchen I'm doing my own thing. Like he'll sometimes come and like play his guitar next to me or whatever. But I am like in the zone in the kitchen, um, whether it's chopping and like, it's just kind of all I'm doing is focusing on that. You know, the, my phone is nowhere near, like the TV's not on. And I really enjoy um, just kind of diving in and watching how heat changes the food or how, you know, chopping kind of releases the smells of the food. Um, and then also, the eating aspect of the food and taking in all the flavors, um, as far as that goes too. And so, um, really like mindfulness can be any activity you want it to be. Um, my definition of it is just kind of that one pointed focus. And so if you're cooking, you're focused on just that one point of preparing the food. Um, and so that has been something that has been helpful for me. And that's like walks can be really great. You're focused on your walk. You know, you're focused on your surroundings. Um, and so those are kind of the things that I, I dive into. And my asana practice, it used to be really strong. So the yoga um, poses, it used to be really strong. And then over the last couple of years, I have definitely not had like I would say my practice is stronger in terms of like, I'm doing what I need to do, not necessarily like all the handstands, all the arm balances, all the like strong. So when I like, it used to be really strong in terms of like the poses, right? Like very intense poses. And now it's become just kind of this like retreat for me where 
sometimes I will do a handstand or some arm balances if I have the energy, but a lot of times I'm just kind of moving and breathing through my body and stretching what needs to be stretched and working what needs to be worked, but then also finding that rest in whatever needs to be rested too. Um, and I don't think there's any right or wrong way to that. Like there are definitely days where you need to like work hard and do that. And there's definitely days where you need to be in Shavasana or child's pose the whole time. And so finding that balance I think is, is really powerful. And so that's kind of where I'm at with all of it. I'm definitely a lot, how do I say this? Like, it's funny. I feel a lot stronger in my mindfulness practice. Um, but I would say from the outside looking in, it probably looks a lot more type B, even though I feel like now it's like all encompassing, <laughs> if that makes sense. That does make sense. And <laughs> I so appreciate all of the examples. Um, and like like we talked about before, um, a lot of SLPs are feeling like, well, and I don't know, they probably tried like one of the meditation apps and they were like, I don't know. That can be hard to – like for some people, that's easy to just jump in and they are able to get through that. But like for me, I tried starting with the meditation app and it was just like – it was just too much to start with. So mm -hmm. I love that you share different ideas, like whether it's taking a walk before you go into work or take going for a walk during your lunchtime and just doing that um, – because you called it the noticing walk. So just taking like a five-minute walk as a way to start or having a gratitude list or taking a couple breaths before you walk into school. Like there's just a lot of little things that we can do to get started. It doesn't have to be um, like, a, like you said, a 30-minute meditation um, or going to yoga every day. Like just kind of exploring and seeing what makes sense for you and um, like something that is approachable because it's supposed to help you and not make you feel more stressed out. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> There's um, some teachers that I really, really love, um, Jackie Carr and Mary Beth LaRue. And in their teaching, they talk about this concept of trying on. So um, they have a podcast called Rock Your Bliss. It's kind of more on this um mindfulness, you know, journey, but I love the idea of like trying on and there's something really valuable in like finding community and talking uh, about these things with your friends or whether you join like, you know, some sort of online community or something. Because what might work for one person will not work for the other person, but then when we all share it's like, oh, yeah, I hate sitting quietly and meditating, but I can totally cook dinner and be focused on that you know, or, um, and so it's this idea of like trying on, um, different practices and seeing what works for us and what doesn't. And there have been lots of things that I've tried that I've been like, no, like a guided meditation is like not my jam at all. <laughs> I am like, oh, why are you talking so much? I just want to chill. Um, but then there are times where like a guided meditation is exactly what I need because my brain can't chill. So, um, yeah, I like that idea of trying on different things and seeing what works for you. And then being okay if something doesn't work for you um, and just letting that go. So, Yeah, and I love what you said about – because this has definitely been the case for me. When I first started exploring, like meditation just felt like excruciating. Yes. <laughs> um, but then – and like sometimes it works, sometimes it – like sometimes it feels great. Sometimes it doesn't feel so great. And just meeting ourselves where we are and going from there, I think is incredibly powerful. Um, so yeah, I love this. And then um, you already mentioned the Insight Timer. Um, and I'll share links to like these different resources in the show notes um, as well at slpnow.com slash 39. Um, so you mentioned Insight Timer, which is an app. Um, do you have other like meditation apps that you would recommend in case people are interested in that? Absolutely. So if you are a teacher, Calm App is giving a free subscription this year. 
um, I would definitely check them out. Uh, they are a favorite. I have lots of friends that are not teachers that pay for it. Um, and there are guided meditations and they're relatively short. But I mean, if you're a teacher, you just use your school email to sign up and they even have some for kids, which is really awesome. I haven't used them in therapy um, simply because they are a little bit longer um, than, but I like you try it on if you think that works for you. I haven't tried it on yet. Um, so that's a really good one. And then if you are interested, um, miniyogis.com is the kids website or the kids yoga website. Um, YouTube is also really great. There are meditations on YouTube. There are tons of great yoga classes on YouTube. Um, and that's free. And so I would recommend that. Um, another really popular meditation timer or a meditation app is Headspace. Andy Puttacum, I think, is the one who does that one. And he has a really great accent. And so that can be fun to listen to um, if you haven't done that already. And I think they have like a 10, 10 day free trial, which is like an intro to meditation. That is pretty decent. Um, I've done that one before, but I hadn't paid for it. I didn't. And they have a bunch of like class packs that you can pay for and get if you're interested in that. And that's something that you try on and you like. Um, Another website that has um, online yoga. It's an online yoga studio. It's glow.com. I think it's only 18 bucks a month. Um, and they have tons of different like world-class teachers that I have really enjoyed studying with, whether in person or through the, the website, like tons and tons. And the cool thing about glow.com is that they also have like different class time. So I know a lot of us are busy and we can't commit to the commute time to a yoga studio and then taking the full hour and a half class or whatever your studio, local studio offers, and then the commute time home. And what's great about Glow is they have like five minute classes, 15 minute classes, an hour and a half classes. You know, they have a lot of different um, class times that I have found really fun to do. Um, and they have a bunch of different programs. And like I said, like some of the teachers on there are amazing, amazing teachers. Like Annie Carpenter is probably my all-time favorite yoga teacher and she has classes on there. Um, so I, I would definitely check that out. And again, like you can try on, they have teachers from all different lineages. And so it's kind of fun to try on some of those things and see what yoga style you resonate with, if that's something you're interested in. Um, yeah, yeah. And then I also um, have a blog at radiatekind.com where I talk about a lot of different, um, a lot of different mindfulness activities and journal prompts. And um, I put up affirmations and things like that that you can check out. And again, just simply try on and see what works for you and what doesn't, and um, looking to start some kind of conversation there as far as um, others helping each other out. I find community to be really, really helpful in this mindfulness journey. Um, you know, I've learned some things through friends who, you know, do different practices. Um, some of them I don't necessarily resonate with, but then others are kind of fun to try on and see like, oh, that did work. Or maybe if I tweak it this way, it works for me. So um, going to your local yoga studio is a really great way to build that community and to um, make friends who are kind of in that same same journey. So Awesome. Thank you for all of those amazing resources. Um, and then you're also putting together um, a little like a sheet with some ideas um, for activities that we can use with kids too, right? Yes, yes. Um, I will put together um, a bunch of different ideas um, that you can use. And I recommend like with the list, you know, I know that we talk about this a lot whenever you take CEUs is like you can't implement everything all right away. But maybe you try one thing a week or you try one thing with one group and you know that that absolutely won't work with another group. You know, it's something simply to try on. It's not like a have to or you get like you you have to do them all or um, whatever. It's 
you know, just simply ideas that you can try and see what works for you, or maybe you tweak them and you make them work for you. Awesome. Um, so we'll link to all of those resources again at slpnow.com slash 39 in case you want to check them out. Definitely keep us posted on what you end up trying and how it goes. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and then Caitlin, thank you so much for sharing your stories and amazing knowledge with us. Um, I so appreciate you and thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the SLP Now podcast. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. So yes, you can earn ASHA CEUs for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your SLP friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get the latest episodes sent directly to you. See you next time.